Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of our review podcast, which I'm going to call 7-Minute History. What I'm basically going to do is give you some information and tell you some cool stories and try to fit it all into 7 minutes. That way you can download this to your phone if you want. You can listen to it whenever you want. Uh, you can plug it through your headphones or just whenever's convenient and hopefully get you better prepared for what's coming and also just maybe learning some mystery a different way. So our first topic we're going to talk about is what we're studying this week, which is uh, uh, the early part of the 1900s. And I want to focus in on Teddy Roosevelt for a second because that guy was just something else. He's one of my favorite presidents and he's definitely in my top five as far as being effective as a president. The Republican Party back in those days was a little different. Um, the Republican Party was started, of course, by Lincoln. And then as we went through the Gilded Age, they got pretty corrupt. And Teddy Roosevelt was a guy who absolutely hated that. He hated the idea that, that people couldn't just serve. They couldn't just like do a good job and do what they were elected for without stealing. And he just refused to. In fact, this is how he becomes president. So, as you may or may not remember, William McKinley is going to get assassinated in 1901. And that means his vice president, Teddy Roosevelt, would take over. But how did Teddy Roosevelt become vice president? Well, he was picked because his job before that was that he was the guy who ran the customs house in New York City. That was a political job. It's one of the best ones you could possibly get. It means that's the person that collected all the taxes from every foreign ship that came into the port of New York. Think about how many boats that was. Unbelievable number. And so that means millions of dollars per year came through that one customs house. So in other words, this is the job in the country that everybody wanted because you could steal it blind. If you had that job, that meant you were going to be a rich man. And here comes Teddy Roosevelt. He just refused. He took the job and then he didn't steal a dime. He turned in all the money. Gasp. How could he possibly do that? And so there were other Republicans that are like, are you kidding me, man? There's money to steal and nobody's taking it. So they engineered a way to get him out. They talked McKinley into picking him as vice president, a harmless little job with almost no power whatsoever. Just ask Andrew Johnson. And so in the election of 1900, McKinley says, hey, he fought in the Cuban-American or the Spanish-American War. So that's a good thing. So I'll have him on the ticket and that'll help me get elected. And it did. And that also got him out of that customs house job. And then three months later, William McKinley was assassinated and Teddy Roosevelt, the incorruptible progressive, is now president. So think about that. The progressives finally have themselves an ally. They finally have a way to get some progressive things passed. So here's Teddy Roosevelt. Let's talk about the progressive things that this guy does, because he's, he's just high energy. This dude, man, you could not keep him. He would wake up in the morning, and he was going full tilt, and he would go full tilt until the day was over. He was just indomitable. The guy just had energy coming out of his ears. I wish I had some. So he would get up in the morning, and one of the first things he'd do over breakfast was he would read everything. He, he had someone bring him like eight or nine newspapers in the morning. Tell me what's happening. Give me, give me a copy of the Denver Post. Give me a copy of the New York Times. Give me a copy of the San Francisco Chronicle. Bring me these newspapers and I want to read what's happening. And he would read all of those over breakfast because he could read 1,500 words a minute. 
Dude, 1,500 words a minute. So he would read several newspapers, and then as he was waiting for his breakfast to digest, he would read a book. I, I don't mean he had some time where he was reading in a book. No, I mean he read the book. He would finish one or two, sometimes three, before he ever got to lunch. So he was one of the most well-informed presidents we ever had, and he read Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle. Now, that really struck a chord with him because he had been in the Spanish-American War, and he had seen other American soldiers die from food poisoning, and here's Upton Sinclair telling him about bad conditions in the meatpacking plants. So he calls Upton Sinclair, invites him to the White House. Upton Sinclair is like, this is my chance. This is it. I can convince Teddy Roosevelt to become a socialist, and then we win without ever having to get the votes. Yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. But Upton Sinclair had a moment. He comes to the White House, and Teddy Roosevelt just grills him. Just nonstop questions, trying to determine what in that book was true and what in that book was maybe a little bit of yellow journalism. So Upton Sinclair leaves without getting a socialist president, but Teddy Roosevelt decides he's going to fix this. He's going to clean it up. He goes to Congress, and they pair up on legislation called the Meat Inspection Act, which said that there's going to be government inspectors, independent, I get to choose who they are, and they're going to come whenever they want to look at your meatpacking plant, and if you don't meet these criteria for cleanliness and safety, we're going to shut you down. So it's the first time the government ever stepped in to protect consumers. That's important. Consumer safety now becomes a responsibility of government. And now you depend on those things. He said, it's not just the meatpacking plants, man. There's all sorts of other stuff. What about, what about prescription drugs? There's no prescriptions yet. So before Teddy Roosevelt, you could go into any pharmacy you wanted to and just buy anything. I'm not kidding. You could walk into a pharmacy in 1900 and just say, I would like cocaine, please. And they would sell it to you. They would be like, don't use too much of this. You'll die. But you're the only person who could protect yourself because they're going to give you anything you want. Heroin was invented in 1895 by the Bayer Aspirin Corporation as a pain reliever. And it was available over the counter in 1900. Not only that, people who were selling prescription drugs, or not, not prescription yet, but just selling drugs in drugstores, they could make up anything they wanted about what those things could do. So you might see in like old movies and stuff, these guys like selling like elixir out of their wagons, these bottles of miracle cures, and they would make wild claims. If you drink my elixir, it will cure cancer and stomach aches, and it'll get stains out of your clothes. It'll do all these things. It's just, just buy with just one dollar for this miracle cure, and none of them were that. Mostly, they just contain alcohol. That was about it. So, how do we protect consumers now from the lies that people will tell you about their product to get you money? And they passed the Pure Food and Drug Act. The Pure Food and Drug Act. On that Pure Food and Drug Act, there was a list of controlled substances. Here are the things you're going to need a prescription for. And if you own these things without a prescription, you're breaking the law. If you sell these things without a prescription, breaking the law. That's where that system came from. You've gotten a prescription filled at some time in your life. So there's a long list of things on that list where you can't just buy them over the counter because we're trying to protect the public from themselves. 
So if you've ever seen someone get arrested on a television show for possession of a controlled substance, that's what they mean. You have an illegal drug, it's in your possession, possession of a controlled substance. It's from the 1906 progressive law passed by Teddy Roosevelt. He does more stuff. Uh, there's a big strike at a Carnegie steel mill. And in comes Teddy Roosevelt to say, all right, all right. Usually what we do is you call a bunch of Pinkertons. Okay, everybody starts swinging bats and firing guns and there's bodies on the ground before this is over. And he says, we're not going to do that this time. He goes to the Carnegie Mill and he says, we're going to settle this. And he points at management and he says, you're going to give them a raise. It's not going to be ridiculous, but they are going to get more money than they had. Workers, you're going to stop paralyzing this mill and you're not going to occupy it anymore. And at the end of the day, nobody gets hurt. I'm not on the worker's side. I'm not on the robber baron's side. And so it was the first president that didn't actively just back big business over the individual. That's progressive. There's more. He starts our national park system. Think about this, man. This is one of my favorite things about him. He just looked at the natural environment in the United States and says, if we don't do something to protect it soon, big business is going to destroy it all. What a cool idea. So what Teddy Roosevelt did, he set up the national park system and started naming national parks. We already had a few, but there wasn't a system to run them all. So if you go over on the Olympic Peninsula, there's Mount Olympus, but there's a whole Olympic range of mountains on the peninsula. They're not in the Cascades. They're their own mountain range. And Olympic National Park was established for us by Teddy Roosevelt. It set up all the other ones too. Rainier comes in 1920. Washington State has 3 million acres of old growth, old growth forests, more than 200 years old. I don't know if you realize this or not, but one-third of all the old-growth trees left in the country are in your state. So we have this timeless natural beauty that was preserved for you. A hundred years ago, they did this. A hundred years ago, they locked it up and said, no hunting, no logging, no fishing. You're not going to take these natural resources. Future generations have a right to see them. And so every time you go to a national park from now on, and say a little thank you to Teddy Roosevelt. 